Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by Black offenders. It is a podcast that anyone and everyone is welcome to enjoy, but it may not be enjoyed by anyone and everyone, so listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. I'm Kayla. And I'm Kristen. And welcome to Black True Crime. If this is your first time here at the show, welcome and hello. What's going on, everybody? How you doing today? Don't ask us how we're doing because we're just lucky to be here. (laughs) By the good grace of God. It is one of those days. Mm. Well, we just want to get started. We don't want to waste too much time at the top. And Kayla's boobs look great, though. We oh have to gosh. say that. We didn't have to, but... Oh, I felt like it. Thanks, sister. And we are going to be covering a listener-requested case today, so I am excited about that. So are you ready, sister? Mm-hmm. We've all heard the human brain isn't fully developed until our mid to late 20s. So essentially, the younger you are, the less you are expected to behave maturely or even morally. So what happens when an underdeveloped adolescent makes a fatal adult mistake not once, but twice? Today, we are going to find out. Join us as we discuss the life and what led to the death of Gerald Lee Mitchell. Mm-mm. Gerald! Gerald! Rest in peace, Gerald. We're going to see if we're on Gerald's side. Okay. Gerald Lee Mitchell was born on December 27th, 1967 in Corpus Christi, Texas. Kristen, what happened in black history? Damn, I almost fucked it up again. Black history in 1967 or whenever you chose to cover. Okay, because I don't know what happened in 1967. Um, Today, I wanted to talk about 9-11. I know that... It was recently, you know, it has recently passed. And I just wanted to pay homage to some of the beautiful people who helped save lives that day. So we know that a lot of people died that day and rest in peace to everyone who lost their lives and condolences to the families. And out of the 343 firefighters that sacrificed their lives to go into the World Trade Center and save lives, I want to acknowledge 12 of those beautiful black people that were part of the New York City Fire Department's Black Vulcan Society. Their names were Gerard Baptiste, Vernon Cherry, Terrell or Terrell Coleman, Andre Fletcher, Keith Glasgow, Ronnie Henderson, William Henry, Carl Joseph, Keith Roy Maynard, Vernon Richard, Sean Powell, and Leon Smith Jr., We thank you for your sacrifice. We highlight you you because you may not have been highlighted um, at the beginning of this tragedy. And we just want to pay homage to your sacrifice. Thank you to you and thank you to your families. Absolutely. Wow. I never even like heard not one of those names before. So shout out to them. Rest in peace. And thank you for what you did for this country on that day. Absolutely. And shout out to all the articles that made articles about these people. I think it's really dope because, you know, America has a tendency to not highlight those of color who do great Mm -hmm. things. So shout out to those articles. 
Shout out to you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you, sister. Mm-hmm. Thank, Thank you, you for that trip down history lane. No problem. All right. So back to Gerald Lee. Hey, hey Gerald. So Gerald was born to his mother and father, Viola May and Lloyd Mitchell, and he was the youngest of three children. Mm. According According to Viola, Gerald was a good boy growing up. She said he sang in the church choir and served as an usher. Okay, Gerald. But every mother says their son was a good boy. So she basically means like he was in the church. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, he went to school faithfully. So he wasn't like the type to skip and act a fool. Okay, period. Gerald had dreams. Gerald was doing well. She said it wasn't until 1982, though, when Gerald was 15, that she started to notice a drastic difference in her youngest child. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. This was around the time Viola was diagnosed with cancer. And after that, it seemed like life and the possibility of his mom's death hit Gerald in the face hard as fuck. So he was basically starting to mourn before he necessarily had to. Wow. I mean, yeah. when you put a thinker mixed with an emotional person, like, that can be very dangerous. Oh, yeah. And I feel like he was just so overwhelmed that he probably had a really close relationship with his mother. So it just really fucked with him, you know, emotionally. Yeah. Probably made him question his beliefs, all of that. Mm-hmm. His grades noticeably dropped, and he seemed to be more fearful. He was scared that his mother would die from the disease at basically, like, any moment. He just didn't know how to cope with it. And this is when Gerald started getting involved in some criminal activity and he started using drugs. Oh, God. Drugs qualm all of our problems. (laughs) So we think. You know, we've used certain things as like, you know, coping mechanisms and it may not look right on the outside, but you and I, thank God we had it, you know? Absolutely. What turned into a, what was a blessing Mm -hmm. turned into a cage though. And for a while, yeah, for a while we had to stop. We were in bondage. (laughs) (laughs) We're better now. The chains were not broken. So Gerald in a very short amount of time has gone through a lot and seems to have done a 180 personality wise. And to add insult to injury, Lloyd, Gerald's father, was laid off from his job at the beginning of 1982. So the whole family was stressed to their limits at this point. Yeah. Could you imagine like being a regular teenager? Because when we were teenagers, our mom had to have like a hysterectomy because like she had this this fibroid the size of my head. No exaggeration. No so exaggeration. Chris and Rufus was like a fucking mammoth. Rufus was a three. She named it Rufus, pound. by the way. Yeah, because yeah, it looked like Rufus. Do 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 do. It was like a three pound, three pound, four pound uh, fibroid. Yeah, it was pretty big. Kristen, you, if I had the picture, like I mean, I'll never forget that thing. It was just enormous, mm-hmm. and we we went through a lot when my mom was going through a lot. So we can only imagine just like how he was feeling with his mom going through cancer. Like, just think about your mom not even being there and you're just with your dad for a day. Like, I don't know. For those of us who are close to our mom, for those of us who do not have our moms, sorry, that really sucks. But those of us who are close to them, it it feels like there is something wrong, something missing when your Mm -hmm. mother is not home. Yeah, it does. It feels something like something is off, especially when you're used to her being there. Mm-hmm. And with no income coming into the home, Gerald turned his attention more so to the streets. And Viola said she witnessed Gerald smoking weed on two separate occasions at the time. 
Well, shucks. Gerald had to get it how he lived. It could have been worse, but it does get worse. Okay, hold on. (laughs) Don't want to say too much. Viola said, quote, he wasn't the type of person he was at home. I knew he had to have something that gave him that type of attitude with me. End quote. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe because it's your dad. And then his daddy ain't making no money. So he's looking at his dad like, you a deadbeat. Well, it's and not her death. It's like the potential of her, like her illness. That part. She's not dead. She's not her. dead yet. Goodness. Sorry. Gerald, I'm getting what you had. Yeah, you get his jumping jumping on you. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> but she's okay. I don't think she died from this cancer. She was more so a part of his life. And I think she was actually there at the end of his life. So Okay. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. Gerald was struggling so much in school that the four different ones he attended in the Harris County Independent School District were seen as failing to, quote, reach him. Mm. Mm-hmm. Gerald, you a hood nigga now. Krista, he's 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 dabbling into some things. And we're mm. gonna kind of we're gonna kind of get to it. I personally think so far he is freaking the fuck out that he may lose his mom and he's doing everything he can to possibly like not think about it, to not show that vulnerability to other people at school that may find him weak. You know, he's going through it. Yeah, I think he's angry. Yeah. And he's lashing out. Yeah, just trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So Gerald was transferred to the Gulf Coast Trade Center, which was an alternative school. Mm-mm. We know about those. We know about those. <laughs> so this is where social worker and health educator Sandy K. Means met Gerald and began to work with him. She said Gerald wasn't able to complete, sorry, compete in the regular public schools like he once did. Her viewpoint was usually when children can't compete or, in other words, keep up in their classrooms, usually react by getting into trouble. And if he was in an environment better suited to his like learning style and needs, he would do way better. Okay. I'm picking up what she's putting down to an extent for sure. In a way, but it sounds like she's trying to say because he can't keep up in school, he is acting out. But I don't think he's acting out because he can't keep up. He can keep up. He just got a lot of stuff going on, which is why he's choosing not to. Yeah, I think especially when you're like in the adolescent stage of the brain, I think it's so vulnerable because so many things can alter it, right? Like I just saw in the news... A little boy went to school and got picked on the first day and killed himself at school. Didn't even wait to go home, like just took his life there, you know? So it's just such a fragile state to be in that I think, honestly, Gerald needs everything that he can to bring him back to where he needs to be at this point. Yeah, it's 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 more, the answer is way more well-rounded than that. But I get where she's, I get what she's putting down. Yeah, and then she said also, this coupled with the proper type of therapy. Mm-hmm. So she's not wrong. Sandy suggested the therapy so he could learn coping skills to help him through the difficult situation. So, okay. you know, your mother is going through this, but that doesn't mean you have to go to school and be causing all this type of fucking mayhem. Right. You don't have to cut up. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point in my research, I was like, okay, what's T? What is T? Because I, is he socially awkward? Is he... You know, is he is he special needs? Like, if, is he struggling mentally or just emotionally? Because as we get on into the case, you're going to be wondering, like, what is his mitigating factor? Like, what can we pinpoint? You know, side note, halter tops look really phenomenal on you because you have these, like, 
broad shoulders so when you do halters you're like exposing the shoulders and then you have really nice boobs so you're just looking really nice right now <laughs> krista can you please stay focused no because it's on- like it's giving i gotta let you if know that on, it's giving I'm about to say, if you're on patreon you'll see it mm-hmm. <laughs> you're gonna i mean it. i'm gonna i'm gonna accept the compliment bitch but i'm also gonna try to get back to <laughs> let's get back, get back to, to the, it the case yes okay This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So after working with Gerald twice a week for about five months in 1982, Sandy had observed Gerald's behavior and how drastically it would change when he was under the influence. She noted that she observed him while high on marijuana and while high on an unspecified pill that he'd taken. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She said he'd ingested drugs and then he, when he did, he became belligerent and argumentative. Okay. She said his main concerns throughout their time together was the fact that his dad had lost his job and his mom had cancer. So he was worried about things that a kid shouldn't be worried about. Period. It was was tearing him apart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When she would testify later in court, Sandy still felt that Gerald's quality of life could greatly improve if he received proper counseling, emotional and behavioral therapy, and drug abuse treatment. So basically he needs fucking everything that we can offer him (laughs) And then maybe we can, like, save this kid. She's basically saying, like, he can be saved. He's not too far gone. Let's do what we can in our big word terms. Let's get this guy what he needs. He needs the resources. Gerald would even admit that he was abusing drugs on the regular. He admitted that he was using cocaine and often combined angel dust, which is PCP, and embalming fluid into his weed joints. Gerald, where are you even getting this mess? How did he learn it, Kristen? Like, you, you just find this type of stuff on the street? I'm pretty sure they gotta sell that type of stuff in, like, medical tubes. Kristen, please. If, girl, please. If, if you find the right person walking down the right street, you will find all these things on their person. <laughs> They won't even have to call anybody. So I, I don't know if they were investor gadget with his many, many, many gadgets inside his trench coat. Inspector oh. gadget. What did I say? Investor gadget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I meant. Oh, sister. Now, I know we said he was into some criminal activity as well. So let's talk about that. In 1983, Gerald was accused of stealing a purse from a woman. He was responsible for an attempted robbery of a Baskin Robbins that same year. And even when he was at school, he was a criminal. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of his classmates claimed that Gerald would carry a 357 Magnum bitch to school and even threatened to shoot someone with it. Gerald, who have you become? and he has done a total 180 i'm telling you people at his schools most likely tried to avoid him because he was just aggressive and hostile so often oh gerald he's struggling he would threaten teachers he would get into fights and that was the main reason he was expelled from the schools and not just because the schools couldn't reach him like i know that's a good cop out you know (laughs) 
And I also feel like teachers are held to a level of responsibility that they shouldn't. I think we blame teachers for the behavior of students when we should really be blaming the parents, you know? Uh, Yeah. Who like, okay. If you're mad at a teacher for saying you ain't never going nowhere and you ain't never going to be nothing. Okay. (laughs) Fair. You could be there. Right. Fair. Cause you shouldn't be saying that. But if your teacher is like not putting up with your child's crap, are you yeah. joking? Like, right. how can you be upset? You did this. Yeah. So now your child is a problem and you're shoveling them off onto other adults. Not cool. Yeah. yeah, I think it's hard. I think it's fair to say, like, if a, if a student has special learning needs or, like, mental care that they need in school and the school can't reach them in that way, that's understandable. But because he was acting up in school, threatening people trying to fight, I don't think that's a blame that you should put on the school district. Like you're trying to fight a teacher. If I was a teacher, do, 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 do. I'm calling. We're setting something up because you're not about to be threatening me. Call your mama. And depending on the age, I just might catch that charge because (laughs) a lot of these kids are big as hell. A lot of these kids be strapped. Okay. Like you can't always be like, oh, I'm not going to have this altercation with this kid. This kid is coming at me because they'll take your life, you know? Yes, they will. But we love the kids. We love the kids, child. (laughs) (laughs) No shade, no pain. No shade. (laughs) Oh, also, and shout out to all the teachers, man, because what? I could never. You guys are rock stars. Kristen works at a school, y'all, so she really knows the tea. Yeah, you guys are rock stars. You know, I I work at a predominantly white school, and them teachers don't play no games. Okay, I thought it was going to be all cute and Sally yeah. this and May that. No, them teachers <laughs> sit down. You're talking too loud. Did I say you could talk? Uh, <laughs> it's giving all the way around. <laughs> but y'all don't get it paid enough for your shit. And I don't give a fuck what y'all made me Period. gotta say about it. Mm-hmm. And half the teachers are uh, parents from PTO because they <laughs> can't find them. no teachers to actually want to work. <laughs> Just a hot mess terrible oh and by the way because of his run-ins with the law gerald had to spend some time in harris in the harris county jail and he even had infractions in there bitch like gerald has something to prove at this point and it seems like only to himself because it doesn't seem like people are actually checking for him and that's no shade but it's like when you're a young boy 15 16 you know you're basically pulling your piece out trying to just show off any moment that you can because your testosterone is like bursting out of your skin. Mm-hmm. So I get it, but it's just like, damn, this was not necessary. <laughs> it just makes think, his life harder. Right. And where's his father to like lead him and direct him? Girl looking for a job. Apparently. Ugh. I know. So apparently he would fight other inmates and threaten to rape them. Huh? Yes, Kristen. Where did it it seems like Gerald has no chill. Like he's heard that before, so therefore he's going to say that because he knows whoever said that really has some power in his voice when he said it. (laughs) So now he's gonna copy. It's just like he's trying to pretend to be this big man that will do anything and everything for his own ego. Yeah, and I hope it's not ego driven driven. I hope it's just like fear. Because fear is so much more understandable. I'm sick of men <laughs> doing so much because of their ego and trying to like boost their pride and stuff like that. But in this sense, because he's so young, it could be ego, but I also think it's just like, you know, man, I need my a, mom. Like a I really just little need my boy. mom. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so far, like with his behavior, I'm not picking up a mentally ill person. I just am picking up like a scared little boy, you know, lashing out. Maybe he's bipolar, but that's like a stretch. I just Mm -hmm. think that's a lazy diagnosis for just describing a kid that doesn't know how to express himself. Okay. Look at us giving... I was about to say, look at us giving him a chance because usually if we see this behavior, bitch, you could be two or 22. We're going to be looking like, no, and we're not here for it. (laughs) So I'm happy that I'm like trying to be patient with him and see where this leads us, even though I already know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's get into it. So at this point, like I said, maybe he's struggling, maybe he's not, I don't know. He just seems to be processing fear and anxiety in the wrong way, and he's becoming kind of a madman. And in 1985, at just 17 years old, he would take not just one life, but two. Come on, Gerald, you fell far from the tree. On Tuesday, June 4th, 1985, 20-year-old Charles Marino and his 16-year-old brother-in-law, Kenneth Fleming, made plans to meet up with 17-year-old Gerald Lee to buy some weed. Okay, so Gerald's trapping now. Okay. Gerald's slanging some dope. Okay. The meet was scheduled to be at a Houston park, and when the two boys arrived, they were met by Gerald Lee, who offered to sell them the weed, but without giving them any type of warning or even letting them respond, he pulled out a 15-gauge sawed-off shotgun. Okay, things have escalated. Big time. Real quick. And then he threatened to shoot them if they didn't drive him to some vacant house. So once the three arrived at the vacant house, Gerald took their keys and forced them to sit on the ground. He then shot both of them from only 10 feet away, christened with a sawed-off shotgun. I don't know if you know what that means. I know what that means. Okay, okay. I'm going to tell it anyway for anybody that's not listening. From what I read, from my understanding, the sawed-off shotgun basically makes the pellets, instead of the pellets being more pointed and more directed at what you're shooting at it makes the pellets just go like (laughs) like all types of directions in a crazy type of with crazy type of force behind it leaving behind a bloody gory mess a mess y'all this is so sad so gerald then drove away in their car and with 25 dollars that he'd stolen from them. And $25 back then is only $69 today, y'all. Corny. Fucking pointless. And when we hear about random heartless murders like these all the time, and with Gerald Lee obviously dealing with a drug addiction at such an early age, I don't put something like this past him. Because honestly, when I was reading it, it didn't seem like he was super addicted to drugs at the age. But after reading about what happened, what he did, and then hearing people's opinions after he did it. Apparently, the nigga was strung out. Okay, because I'm like, otherwise, what the heck was the point of that? Why did you just do that? They were about to pay you money, and you took their lives and took their car for what? So we're mixing, like, an adolescent who is already mentally and morally immature with drugs, okay, PCP, hallucinogens, cocaine, He has a gun and he doesn't have any money to feed that addiction. It's just Mm. one plus two equals three. This is what the outcome would be. A mess. A disaster. Murder. The 16-year-old was thankfully able to survive the attack. He was shot in the hip. 
but Charles unfortunately did not make it. Wow. Rest in peace, Charles. Oh, and I also, which is so sad, but I just remember, I didn't even say who recommended this, the listener, and it's L.A. Lizzle 1989. I don't know if it's La Lizzle or L.A. Lizzle, but hey, friend. Thank hey, friend. For Thanks for recommending case. the case. So rest in peace to Charles. And by the way, both of these men were of the root of the caucus. I think they just have, wanted a sack. And they just lost wanted, their life. They just wanted a sack because Charles had just finished his basic training for the Navy. So he probably just wanted to hang out with his, you know, little brother-in-law and kick it. Wow. That very same day, Gerald shot 18-year-old Hector Mangu- Manguia to death after he refused to hand over a necklace he was wearing. Wow. Gerald is just on something. He's completely out of his mind. Unhinged, for sure. After the shooting, Gerald went to a friend's house and went to sleep. So, rest in peace to Hector. He was just a kid. Rest in peace, Hector. Gerald also decided to hold on to Charles's car and was still driving it around a week after the murder. And... Just the nobody And nobody asked where he got this car from because, remember... His parents don't have a job. I mean, I don't know if his dad has a job at this point, but the last we heard, his dad was struggling. His mom was trying to beat this disease. He has two other siblings that have to be cared for as well. Where did he get this car? And why is nobody looking for Gerald? Why is nobody wondering about Gerald? You know what? Let me get a crazy son who thinks he can do anything and everything. Before I give up on him, him I'm going to to do everything I possibly can except put my hands on him um, to kill him. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. do everything I can to make sure I know where he's at, that he's good, and that he's re- rehabilitated. And it's like in this situation, as a parent, when you're going through so much stuff on your own, who knows if you even have the capacity to like be there for your children the way that they need you to. Obviously, the great, you know, the ideal situation is being there the way that they need you to, but sometimes you can't. And in this situation, I really think Gerald needed way more parental help and guidance, and he didn't have it. I agree. So because Gerald was still driving Charles's car, the police were able to catch his ass, and he was arrested for the murder of Charles Marino and the attempted murder of 16-year-old Kenneth. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And Gerald went to trial for this, so I'm not sure if it was set up to where he could admit that he did it and then not go to trial. I don't know how that was set up, but I do know he went to trial for this. Okay. So at his trial, Gerald's defense made sure the jury understood that although Gerald may have been physically responsible for these crimes, he wasn't legally responsible. How so? Their argument was very close to being not guilty by reason of insanity. So apparently at the time of the murders, Gerald had an IQ of only 75. No way. Yeah, girl, and had been diagnosed as, quote, functioning on the borderline level of retardation. But the thing is, Mm. he wasn't always like that. The drugs must have gotten him to that low of a level. So at the end of the day, it's still his responsibility because he took the drugs. Kristen, I had, you know, I had to look it up. Okay, I had to look up. What did you find, sister? We're going to get to it. Let me say this next part first. So Mm. they also argue that. Gerald was suffering from an organic brain disorder and was even experiencing temporal lobe seizures. Wow. 
Yeah, which is a serious neurological condition that can cause confusion, erratic, and even violent behavior. I believe so, it. This is a surprise to me. Right, where did it come from? I, Because I'm thinking, okay, if he's having these type of like mental um, instabilities, I would understand why he may go to an alternative school, right? But it also doesn't necessarily just... It also doesn't necessarily explain why he was pulling guns on people. Like, I know erratic and violent behavior can be a possibility, but something that egregious, something as far as killing someone for money or trying to rob them, I don't think that is coupled with um, the brain seizures that he was having. I think it's a classic argument of nature versus nurture. Like, okay, which one has more pool in this? Mm -hmm. I think that his nurture or lack of could affect his nature, you know, and could help. I mean, it could um, hurt the fact that, yeah, he's going through some stuff mentally, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. where did did that come from? Right. And then the fact that nobody's taking care of him, he feels like his mom is going to pass away. He's handling fear that he doesn't know how to handle in this little body. Yeah, that could definitely be coupled to do some damage. But where did the mental disorder come from, Kayla? Where did the degradation come from? Organic what? Yeah, it was, it's called organic. No, no, I'm sorry. They said he had an organic brain disorder and he was experiencing temporal lobe seizures. So mm. when I read this or when I read about that, I remembered, I was like, okay, at the beginning, his mom said he was excelling in school, right? He performed right. really, really well with grades and all that type of stuff. So that kind of suggests that his IQ is was higher than 75. Right. But after the cancer scare, when his mom, he found out his mom had cancer, his grades plummeted. So I wanted to Google if emotional stress or trauma at a young age can change your IQ. Mm-hmm. And we know how I feel about IQs. I think IQ tests are kind of fucking skewed anyway. Like, it's really not tailored for a young black boy, inner city boy. You know, let's be real. Mm-hmm. But whatever. So I found a study in the National Library of Medicine that was conducted in 2019. And it said, quote, in conclusion, we found significant correlations between stress and EI and between EI and IQ. So EI stands for emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. These results can show integrative associations among stress EI and cognitive intelligence supporting complex interactions related to the structure and function of the brain higher levels of anger which is a component of stress were significantly related to poor emotional regulation end quote so in other words if stress increases it can cause emotional intelligence to decrease which can then affect an individual's iq okay yeah which basically means like if you're going through a lot you can become dumb dumber like (laughs) for lack of a better word that i can think of at this moment you can become less intellectually smart which is crazy heck yeah to think that emotional intelligence and regular intelligence are affected by one another is insane and just shows you how important mental health is and we used to go through all the things that you could go through, uprooting a child and moving constantly, constantly, constantly. And I stayed having good grades. So <laughs> even though we didn't experience that type of degradation or mental degradation, despite the stuff that we were going through, the fact that somebody else can makes me want to dive into like being a psychologist. Cause I'm like, this is insane. Stress can yeah. make you dumber guys. 
Yeah, I would never want to be a psychologist because, no, I can't leave shit where it's at. I would take it with me, and I just don't have time for that. That's I already have this show. Huh, that part. So Gerald testified on his own behalf, and the prosecution brought up a burglary that happened not too long after the murders. So apparently Gerald was with another man named Henry Miller, and according to Gerald, Henry had asked him to go find change for a $50 bill around the corner from a pawn shop they were at. And when he came back, police arrested him for robbing the pawn shop. Okay, what the heck? Mm-hmm. Basically, he's saying that her- or Henry robbed it while he was gone. He had nothing mm-hmm, to do with and it. set him up. Mm-hmm. When he was arrested, though, he allegedly had eight gold chains in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't rob them, you robbed somebody else. Somebody else. Now, he said that those were his chains and he took them off because he played a basketball game like earlier that day. But the pawn shop owner said he recognized some of the jewelry. It was like, that came from us. So, miss me with that bullshit. Dudes be going to pawn shops to pick up chains to be trying to show off. Okay. I'm not mad. Get it how you live. I'm not mad. You got to do what you can. Pawn shop is the poor man's jeweler. I ain't mad. He was questioned about a few other robbery attempts, too, but denied being involved. He was asked about the fights he would often get in at school, and he said people would mostly start fights with him. Even his mother testified that some of the white boys at his school would drive past their house and yell racist shit at him. Mm, Wow. So I get that. I get that. So is Gerald the victim? I mean, Gerald, I feel like... Maybe most perpetrators start out as a victim at some point and then they choose what role they want to have and it's no longer the victim. Yeah. So once Gerald, I think, started killing people, started threatening people with guns and, you know, all that type of stuff, I think that's where he stopped being the victim. Mm-hmm. Gerald claimed that he never threatened to shoot one of his classmates or to rape anybody in jail which we'll never know if that's true or not. But Mm -hmm. And although he didn't take responsibility for these crimes, he did take responsibility for both murders in court. So on the stand, he said, I'm sorry for what I did. I did kill Hector and Charles. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, my head is spinning. So I'm like, is he a truth teller or does he tell lies? Or both? Because most people are both. Both. He claimed that he only shot Hector after Hector allegedly tried to stab his accomplice. So apparently he was robbing Hector with someone else. And it's like, it's no longer self-defense, sir, if you're the one perpetrating the violence in the first place. Duh, Gerald. He was a kid, you know. (laughs) Let's give him some type of, he didn't know. But none of this did Gerald any favors because a jury of his all-white peers convicted him of both the murders of Hector Mungia and Charles Marino. He was sentenced to 60 years for Hector's murder and was sentenced to death for killing Charles. So these were two, I don't want you guys to think they were charged, they were tried together. These are two separate cases. Ooh, so Charles was white, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, I said, yeah, remember I said that. at the time. Mm-hmm. 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 Charles was white, he got death. Hector sounds like he wasn't, and he got mm-hmm. 60 years. Okay. Oh, actually, this is Charles. Oh, God. Yeah. Hi, Charles. So Charles you know, Rest doesn't peace, seem like Charles. he'd hurt too much of a fly. No, he just know. wanted to pick up some dope. Just a little bit of weed. I've been, girl, I need some weed right now. I go get some after we record, so <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> well, don't and get caught was, up. I won't. <laughs> 
And this was a huge issue with a lot of people because at the time of the murders, Gerald was only 17 years old, meaning not legally an adult. And a lot of people found sentencing a child technically to death was a bit too much. It, was it too is far. a bit too much. I can get the sentiment for sure. And Gerald would fight for the next 15 years to save his life. So fast forward 15 years to early 2000, 33-year-old Gerald had been on death row for over 15 years. Wow. He's had time to mature and reflect on his decisions, and it seems like he actually has. Gerald has apparently become very religious, sober, and focused on living a better life. Well, that's good. Just It literally sounds like for half of people, if they just go to jail and stay maybe isolated or something, that they'll like act right because all they needed was a little bit of alone time and a little bit of Some distance structure. yeah from negative mm-hmm. stuff in their life yeah gerald said quote oh gerald said he had quote come so very long away since the year of that dis- mentally disturbed and unsettled 17 year old young person and yeah he'd written a letter to charles marino's mother expressing how sorry he was and asking for forgiveness he characterized himself at the time of the murders as a very, as a quote, very disturbed personality, very uncaring, unreasoning, and unthinking, end quote. Period. He said his fear and pain experienced on death row is nothing compared to what she had to go through every day. Mm-hmm. And that quote, I understand that there is nothing I can ever do that will make up for the precious treasures that I have taken from you, end quote. Period. And I hope you sent one to Hector's family, too. Yes, I definitely hope that he did, too, because Hector didn't deserve to die, either. No. In 1992, Gerald was involved in a prison fight, and two other death row inmates stabbed him. But he survived. Yeah, so I didn't even know that on death row, like, you can access other death row inmates like that in order to stab him. I guess so. I don't know what jail this is, but yeah, Gerald still had enemies. Mm -hmm. Gerald's legal team decided to write a final appeal to the courts and Gerald's execution was scheduled for October 22nd, 2002. So they had to like get the fuck on it. Mm -hmm. And at that time, they just wanted his sentence commuted to life because hello, he was 17 when he was convicted. Right. So they appealed to the governor to ask for clemency. Now, mind you, this is a Texan governor, so you can already guess how unlikely it is that he's going to get this. I was about to say, Texans be swearing they're, you know, holier than thou. But you ask them to forgive something you done did, and you will be sitting there for a while. Yeah, they be wearing shirts like, country, Jesus, and guns. And it's like, (laughs) but you don't give any of that other than guns. (laughs) that part shout out to our texans (laughs) yeah i'm about to say as i'm about to move to texas i feel sad for gerald because i honestly think like once the jury saw that he was black young and was on drugs they were like oh he did this purposefully or not we don't care that's it yeah his iq honestly could have been two and they still would have been like give him the chair he could have been the smartest person in the world they would have been like give him the chair they would have been yelling that even louder if he was the mm-hmm. smartest person in the world. The clemency petition named several reasons why Gerald should no longer be seen as a threat to society. They described his hardships during his early life, his lack of overall intelligence, and that since he'd been in prison, he had felt different. 
and wasn't dependent on drugs anymore. So basically just trying to say, hey, I've improved. I'm doing better. I don't need to be killed. Like, hey, I grew up, you know, and I got out of where I was in that dark place when I was 17 years old. Right. And these are the cases that make situations like the Kyle Rittenhouse clown show staples for showing that the racist justice system here is like on and popping and probably won't ever die. Mm-hmm. Well, and well, we hope I, it will. I was about to say, you know, we can all hope, but it's not looking good. <laughs> and I'm not saying Gerald should have been out free, obviously not, but commuting his time down to life would have been like a chance to at least show some type of humanity. Yeah, with the possibility of parole because he was 17 when he did it. Like, And with such a low IQ, it's like being on the borderline, what did they say, borderline retardation? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Like, come on, bro. The defense argued that the original jury was not given the correct information about how adolescent children are still developing mentally, emotionally, and morally, and how those underdeveloped areas can lead to impulsive behavior like this. So the jury just didn't know that they could sentence him, I guess, to life without parole. They just figured, oh, he admitted to these killings. He did it. So death it is. Even though he's a child. Okay. Right. Unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, Gerald's death sentence was upheld and six out of the nine criminal appeal judges voted to execute him. Dang. Yep. They felt like the mitigating points that had been brought up had already been brought up before and they weren't mitigating enough. The parole board even voted 18 to zero in favor of him keeping the death penalty. That's like 18. Wrong about that. Something's messed up because, yeah, okay, I get it. He killed people. I don't like him, you know, but at the end of the day, he was 17 years old when he did it. He was going through mess. He was Mm -hmm. on drugs like PCP, which can literally Mm -hmm. tranquilize a horse. And you mean to tell me that you won't even give him a hint of compassion 15 years later? Mm, But I also think there we're going to talk about kind of the differences in his situation versus someone else's situation. And we're going to talk about that actually right now. So, Many at the time compared this case to the case of another juvenile, 17-year-old Napoleon Beasley, who'd been granted a stay just three months earlier. So this is Napoleon. Okay. But there are some distinct differences. For instance, Napoleon had a clean record before the murder and Gerald did not. So remember, mm-hmm. Gerald had committed some um He was a robberies. criminal already. Mm-hmm. 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 Napoleon came from a nice home in Grapeland, Texas. He was a high school football star and class president. Mm. But in 1995, he and two of his friends went to Tyler, Texas, looking for a luxury car to steal. Oh, they ended. Yeah, they ended up shooting and killing John Luttig. Luttig or Ludwig? I can't remember. Okay. So they ended up shooting and killing John Ludwig, who was the son of a federal appeals court judge in Virginia at the time. Uh Oh, Mm-hmm. Not looking good. His wife was also shot in the attack, but she was able to survive by playing dead. Oh, wow. So scary. Despite the violence in this case, Napoleon had 332 different letters mailed to the governor on his behalf. Well, he is the football star, so he has a community. Yeah, but that's huge to take time out of your day and like send that to the governor. Absolutely. Even the judge that presided over his case, plus 18 state representatives, personally asked Rick Perry to commute his sentence to life in jail. Who is this man? 
I don't. I'm like, who are his parents? Where did he come from? Was the, the was someone's money involved? Like, were they betting right. on the high school championship? What the fuck was right. happening? Did they have like skin in the game, money in the game? He had some connections for sure, and he was black, so. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously with all this pressure and all these mouths breathing down Rick's neck, he's like, well, I have to do it. So he commuted the sentence to life. And I guess that's the difference between Gerald. Well, there's a lot of differences between Gerald yeah, and yeah. Napoleon. But one of them was influence, community, having people that'll be there to reach out in, on your behalf. Yep, because Gerald's case didn't get nearly half as much attention as as homeboy Napoleon did. mm Just 10 days after the courts denied his final appeal for clemency, 34-year-old Gerald Lee Mitchell was executed on Monday, October 21st, 2002. Wow. Before he took his last breaths, he said to Diane Marino, which was the mother of Charles Marino, quote, I'm sorry for the pain. I am sorry for the life I took from you. I ask God for forgiveness and I ask you for the same. This is intense. Yeah. His family was present and he looked to them, telling them to be strong. And I also saw that his sister, Marsha, was like bawling her eyes out and she was brought to her knees at the time. So nobody fucking wins in this situation. It's not going to ever happen. Yeah. It's just pain all around. Pain all around. This was his last statement verbatim. This is what he said. So I guess he was asked, like, do you have any last words? And he said, yes, sir. Where is Mr. Marino's mother? Did you get my letter? Just wanted to let you know I sincerely meant everything I wrote. I am sorry for the pain. I am sorry for the life I took from you. I ask God for forgiveness and I ask you for the same. I know it may be hard, but I'm sorry for what I did. To my family, I love each and every one of you. Be strong. Know my love is always with you. Always. I know I'm going to be, I know I'm going home to be with the Lord. Shed tears of happiness for me. I love each and every one of you. Keep on living. Oh my God. Betty. I could cry. This is beautiful. Betty, you have been wonderful. You guided me to the Lord. You have been like a mother to me. Sean, Rusty, Jenny, Marsha, God bless each and every one of y'all. Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I know when I die, I'll have life in heaven and life eternal everlasting. I am ready for that mansion that you promised me. Take care. It's all right, Sean. It's all right. I'm going to a better place. Oh, my God. I could literally bawl my eyes out. I was, like, really fucking sad. Oh, it it, it oozes, like, genuine remorse. Yep. I felt that. I felt like it was genuine remorse. Tell us, y'all, okay? Comment on Instagram. Hit us up. Let us know if y'all thought his apology was genuine because I'm feeling all the feels. I'm feeling all the feels. I'll tell you that. And it's not just because he used Jesus' name. It was like just how he addressed the Marino mother first, you know, and then addressed his family and then addressed his belief. It was like, dang, this dude has not only thought about what he's done, he's processed it, he's processed his death, and he's ready to go. And it sucks that someone who actually genuinely feels remorse has to die. But there are people who don't, are let out every day. Or, 100%. you know, kept in there for life to cause more mayhem in prison. Oh, yeah. I mean, remorse doesn't just come with, okay, I did this crime, so now I feel bad for it. No, it's actually something that I feel like people have to work toward um, feeling, especially to do such a crime like this. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to sit here and say, oh, yeah, he was a murderer, but that doesn't define him because that's something that I feel like 
definitely in our society defines people, but it's just unfortunate that he fucked his life so bad to where we only see that part of him or we only see him as doing that and we don't see him as anything more other than this last statement that he made before he died. Which is why children under the age of of a certain age should be given more compassion because they don't always know what the freak they're doing and they need time to get to that point of understanding this is what I did this is not okay am I going to be a better person or am I going to be the same type of person yeah yeah and even we talk now like we see in the news all the time 13 year old shoots 16 year old 16 year old shoots mother of four or you know whatever it's I guess a person's age doesn't mean that they can't do the worst of it. Like in the intro, you know, you're immature or in society, we think of you as a child, but you could still pick up a gun and pull the trigger. So how do we gauge what punishment should look like in those situations for children or people that we deem immature or legally under aged? Whatever. Yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard fucking thing to figure out, and we're not figuring it out very well. I don't think. No, no. All I know <laughs> is he was young when he did the crime. He was young when he died. Yeah. And the only solace that um I guess he can take is the fact that he asked for his forgiveness and is going to a better place because he did repent. So he did. Even though we're looking on the other side like, dang, like they really took his life for that. Yeah, they did. But mm-hmm. he knew it was coming. He prepared himself for the afterlife yeah. and, yeah. you know, whatever. It That's seems like it he is. took responsibility for what he did. He's taking accountability for the punishment that he has to endure and he has found peace in that. So, yeah, you know, that's the only thing that I feel like will help his family at this point. And we want his family to feel some type of healing, so. Yeah. Oh, and his last meal was an assorted bag of Jolly Ranchers, so. That's it. He is a genuinely a child from from his toes up to his little little cheekies. You are never, if this is my last meal, I want everything I can think of. <laughs> Chris, I'm going to name everything I can think. I want to throw up right before <laughs> I die because I ate so much. I want to be uncomfortable. Uncomfortably <laughs> full. I want to be begging them to take me out because I'm so uncomfortably full. But yeah, (laughs) thank you to La Lizzle1989 for recommending this case. What did you guys think about the case? Like I said, it kind of lingered some thoughts in my head to figure out like, what the fuck can I do to help society? How can I make sure my son doesn't become one of these people? Because you can't, you know, you can't avoid things that you can't avoid right Right. illnesses you can't you don't know what's gonna happen so how can i raise like a strong black man that doesn't kill people because he's sad yeah (laughs) you know that part so yeah (gasps) love you guys so much (laughs) love you so without further ado further ado be safe protect your peace and protect your space so we don't have to cover your case bye your friend every time I have a right to do that, but you have no right to judge me.